They are known as the San Antonio Four, a group of friends wrongfully convicted in the 1990s. All four accused of satanic rituals on two little girls and charged with aggravated sexual assault and indecency with a child. I had no idea that wrongful convictions were happening and, you know, along with satanic panic. Ana Vasquez, one of the four women, telling her story and how she fought and never gave up hope. I just could not wrap my my mind around being convicted of a crime that never even occurred. This is South Texas Crime Stories, Satanic Panic, Part 3. It was the summer of 1994. Elizabeth Ramirez had her two nieces, who were seven and nine at the time, spend a week with her. They went shopping, swimming, played basketball, and visited with Ramirez and her three other friends, Christy Mayhew, Cassandra Rivera, and Ana Vasquez. All four women were lesbians, and according to Ana Vasquez, being at Ramirez's apartment was a sort of safe haven. You know, back in the early 90s, the LGBTQ community was not looked at as the way it is now. So being at Liz's apartment, for the four of us, that was our safe haven. That was our safe place that we could be ourselves, really, because I was never able to show my authentic self. Never did I imagine that this fun-filled week would change my life forever. A few months later, Vasquez gets a call from a San Antonio Police Department detective who told her that she was being accused of sexual assault by Ramirez's nieces. As you can imagine, shock, uh, humiliation, all sorts of emotions were going through my mind, but I was like, this is a mistake. And, you know, basically, what do I have to do? How can we fix this? Never knowing that, you know, that. I really should have lawyered up, but, you know, I still fully cooperated. Anna and the other three were questioned and told that the investigation would either end with no calls back or they would hear back. About six months later, their fears became a reality. I am at work at Little Caesars Pizza and uh, two undercover agents come in and they arrest me. For now, aggravated sexual assault and indecency with a child. Scared, confusion, uh, embarrassment. You know, I was arrested at my place of, of business. Um, you know, my management was there. Just not really knowing, you know, the, the whole process. I was just scared. I, I couldn't believe it. The confusion would only continue into trial. Ramirez had her trial first, and this was the first time Ana ever heard anything about satanic rituals. He presented the jurors with this uh, picture of Liz sacrificing her nieces to her three lesbian friends on an altar of lust. I had no idea that this was a thing until it actually affected my life. I had no idea that wrongful convictions were happening and, you know, along with satanic panic. Ramirez was convicted in 1997 and sentenced 37 and a half years in prison. Ana and the other two women had their trials together the following year. And again, another guilty verdict. The punishment, 15 years in prison. 
heard that it was happening, but I couldn't believe that it was happening to me. But their fight wasn't over yet. I could not wrap my, my mind around being convicted of a crime that never even occurred. I was still hopeful that the truth would be uncovered. They get this guilty verdict and their lives change. They go to prison. They're no longer free women in this in this case. They are they're convicted of the crimes that they were accused of with no evidence behind them. Yeah, and this life that they're now living in prison for, you know, for Ramirez's you know, 37 years and Anna and the other two women 15 years. I can't imagine that feeling of knowing you're going to jail. And we always hear people say, oh, I'm wrongfully convicted, but they really were. And for something that they never did. Exactly. And we know from media, obviously, and also from hearing from people who have been incarcerated, when you're accused of a crime against a child and you're in prison, life for you is not easy. No, so here's Anna talking a little bit about how it kind of went for them after that guilty verdict and having to just realize then her life was going to be prison. So we were convicted in 1998 and we were sentenced to 15 years aggravated sexual assault um, and to run concurrently 10 years for the indecency, okay? But because it was 15 years and below, we were able to apply for an appellate bond. So we continued to fight. Um, but in 2000, it came down that we were, you know, we had lost our appeals and we would now have to start serving our sentence. So it wasn't until 2000 that we actually had to turn ourselves in. Basically, I had to transform my way of thinking and really conform to the prison world now because that was going to be my life for the next 15 years. I knew I was going to continue to fight. I didn't know how or where or, you know, what to do, but who better to advocate for you than yourself? So that was my life. Um, I was still hopeful, but at this particular point, I had kind of given up on the organizations because they had basically all rejected me. So, yeah, she is in there for years and years and years and hoping somebody would help her with this case and that's kind of how the texas innocent project came around and was created almost at the same time as her case is trying to get back into the courts yeah absolutely and it like you said it, it took over a decade for this to happen and uh it was created and michael ware one of the creators was anna's lawyer during the evidentiary hearing and that hearing was held in in 2015. now think about that 2015 she went to jail in 2000 that's and served 13 years by the time that evidentiary hearing came out she was already out on you know on parole she still served so much. She served almost the entirety of her sentence. So this hearing was held in 2015, and there were two key pieces of testimony that were recanted. 
One was from one of the nieces who said she was forced to lie because her father, which was Ramirez's sister's ex-boyfriend, she had rejected him. He made a move on her or whatever, and she had rejected him. So he made his daughters lie and make this whole thing up. I just, how can you do that to another person? I get it, man. Your ego's hurt. The girl you shot your shot at, she said no. She didn't want anything to do with you. Move on. Be an adult. And not only that, but you're forcing your daughters, your your young daughters to make up this lie. And I think I, I read something how one of uh, the one that had recanted her testimony was like, I couldn't go on knowing I put my aunt in jail for no reason because I was pushed to do it. And I was going to do everything I could to get them out of jail. I mean, yeah, that, that's got to be something that weighs heavy on her. Just like we had heard uh, from John talking about the situation with his father, Marvin. I mean, that weighed on him for years. Yeah, and, and still now, you know, that was 1991, still dealing with it in 2022. Absolutely. So it doesn't go away. But there's another piece of testimony that was recanted that's almost infuriating. And here's Anna talking about that specific evidence that was now being recanted. At this time, what they were presenting was the fact that the scientific proof, which Dr. Nancy Kellogg had testified to was now basically junk science is what they call it. So I, I want to kind of, you hear that and you're like junk science. Mm -hmm. Like this is the same thing we talked about before where that other doctor, oh, I just didn't know the female anatomy. What is with these doctors testifying in these cases and not knowing real medical science? I don't get it. You can't be a doctor. Yeah, right? So doc Dr. Kellogg, so her name was Dr. Nancy Kellogg, at the time of the trials had research that said that scarring that was on the one of the girls was evidence of sexual trauma. And she even speculated, she even speculated that these were acts of satanic, that were satanic related. But later, when she went back, you know, she, she recanted that and said that she was wrong. And even the American Academy of Pediatrics published a long-term study that this trauma doesn't actually leave any scarring. So she went, finished out doing some research rather than just saying what she thought on the stand that ultimately led for women to go to prison for something they didn't do. And she went up and read on it more and was like, oh, I was wrong. Yeah, pretty much. But this was like, like I said, 15 years later after That's the fact. Was. So Anna was released in 2012. She served the 13 years. The others remained in prison, but were released on bail in November 2013. Now, April 2015 was that evidentiary hearing. November 2016, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals granted the writs and vacated the convictions, something they knew all along that they were wrongfully convicted for. This was a huge case here in San Antonio. The San Antonio Four have gone on to be known nationally because of this case. So I want I want people to hear Anna talking about her exoneration and when it finally happened. You know, it's something that we've said all along that this did not happen. And um, so I guess it was like confirmation, right? That what I had been saying, which, you know, came out to be true, but it was, it was a huge relief. As you can imagine, finally, we were done. This was now at the end or so I thought. It, it, you almost want to be like, told you so. What do you think I've been saying for the last over a decade? 
And I like how Anna ended that last quote. They thought it was over. But it wasn't over. Mm-hmm. And so they she thinks she's cleared. She's out living life, doing talks at schools about her experience. So she goes to a school and she gets red flagged because her record hadn't been expunged yet. So she still had it on her record, which was a whole nother process. And it took another year or two for them to get that cleared off the records. Yeah, because she was convicted of a crime, a sexual crime against a child. You can't live your your life normally if that's something you're convicted of. Of course that needs to be expunged when you didn't do anything. Yeah, it's ridiculous the process how long it took and we're seeing this with melvin queenie's case i mean here we are still waiting to even see if he's going to get exonerated and that evidentiary hearing was in june so it is a long judicial process they were they were paid back for their time that they served but unfortunately satanic panic is still something we see today in our modern day we're seeing it now yeah, and this comes into play with QAnon. And, you know, it's not as, I want to say it's not as prevalent as Satanic Panic was. And people weren't necessarily getting convicted of Satanic crimes or like they, they are right now. I mean, it's not necessarily happening, but there is still this belief in something that is not true. Yeah, and Anna, who of course lived through this and knows knows pretty much a lot about it because she now helps others, but... She talked about how she is seeing this play out right now through QAnon and how it's kind of taking over in the political aspect. Well, I haven't seen them in actual court cases being a thing now, but do I see it in the media? Yes. I mean, but now it's it went from like a moral panic or religious panic to now political. And, you know, I mean, it can affect anybody. Right. It's ridiculous. It's. They're weaponizing it to hurt people and not really realizing that it can affect a life. Even the accusation alone can be detrimental for somebody, you know, financially, emotionally, you know, and so on and so forth. And Anna made a good point. It's not so much that people are being going to court and going to jail for this, but just the the threat and just saying this can hurt somebody's life, can really have an impact on on somebody's life, career, you know, beyond that. Thankfully, people aren't being wrongfully accused and there's actual investigations going on to prove that these, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, conspiracy theories are not really what they are. Yeah, it just, I mean... Everything with QAnon, it's just this belief in something that just is not real and is not founded. And I think with Satanic Panic, we saw it so widespread across the whole country. With QAnon, it's maybe not as widespread the actual physical acts that are happening, but we have seen real-life ramifications like that pizza parlor in Washington, D.C., there have been very real cases linked to QAnon beliefs and people just have to understand what they're accusing others of is not happening. So now Anna works for the Innocent Project of Texas, which is the same, you know, group of lawyers that helped her as the director of outreach and education to help others and educate others. And 
she Lee, we talked to her for like how long? I mean, our Zoom call could only last 40 minutes because that's how much a free Zoom lasts. And we both were texting each other afterwards saying, you know, we wish we could talk to her for double the length of time. We want to just sit with her for for lunch one day or something because she's just so interesting. Her story is so interesting, but it's not just her story. It's just her as a person. I mean, she just has such a huge heart too. And she's so kind and she's funny. And it just, I mean... I, I don't know if I could still be that positive a person after going through what she went through, but she is. Yeah, and I love that she is making sure with her work now, she is able to help others that, you know, if somebody who's wrongfully convicted now, for her, there was nobody there. There wasn't a Texas Innocence Project at first, you know, when she first got convicted. And she and her family had no one to go to, no one to talk to. And she wants to be that person for other people. So we really appreciated her taking time to talk with us. Like you said, she tells her story so well. You could still see emotionally how much it weighs on her. Um, but you could also see how proud she is of who she is and the work she hopes to express to others. And you asked a really um, good question that she kind of ended our interview with was how do you want people to know you beyond your wrongful conviction? And this is what she had to say. I would like people to not remember me and the circumstances surrounding my wrongful conviction, but I want to be looked at now as a beacon of light when people are out searching for help. That's, that's what I, that's what I want. I don't know if that'll happen, but that's, that's the way I want to be seen. South Texas Crime Stories will be taking a two-month hiatus. We aren't going away. We're just working on something big, and we will be back in January with more crime stories. And later in December, we'll be making a big announcement. We want to thank you all for making this podcast so successful and tuning in. Please listen back to all five seasons. Yes, five seasons. You can go also to our KSAT YouTube channel to watch the episodes as well. Our editor, Tim Stewart, who we have to give a shout out to. Shout out, Tim! Has done an amazing job putting those together for us. And it's been really interesting to see how our team is starting to grow. um, Because, like I said, we have big things coming next year. You won't want to miss it. So thanks again for listening. This is South Texas Crime Stories.